0: Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Managing Editor James Kleiman to talk about the news this week that Wells Fargo is exiting the Correspondent Channel and what that means for the overall market. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, good to be with you, Sarah. Good to be with you as always. And today we have a really important topic, which was the news that broke this week about Wells Fargo closing its correspondent channel. Tons of stuff to uh, unpack there. So let's start with the the basics. Tell us what the what the news story was.
1: Sure. So Wells Fargo announced this week the closure of their correspondent lending channel. And that they would also be reducing their servicing footprint. And absolutely, it is very big news, but it's not necessarily surprising news. Uh, the, the bank has been laying off quite a few mortgage staffers for the last year. Of course, nothing unique about that either, right? Um, this is a really tough environment. And Charlie Scharf, the CEO, has also made quite a few pointed comments about the mortgage business needing to shrink. And and so I, I think it's really important to also remember that Wells Fargo has experienced Scandal after scandal over the last few years. Uh, you know, you may have also read that they have a, a three point something billion dollar CFPB settlement, some of which was mortgage. You know, the mortgage banking side has been responsible for several of these scandals, and so that kind of brings us to the the story, which is why did they decide to exit correspondent? Correspondent is about forty percent of their mortgage lending volume, and and essentially for those who don't know what it means, it's it's. Um, Kind of originating loans with with a partner. So, in this case, Wells Fargo would work with a regional or community bank, and in some cases, uh, you know, other types of of lenders, and they'll originate the loan kind of on their behalf. And um, and executives at Wells Fargo pretty much felt that when financing large amounts of loans originated by these correspondent partners they're effectively responsible if there are problems later on, right? Uh, whereas if they do their own underwriting and everything in-house, they know exactly what they get because there's a standard. There are no other questions. They're not basically buying these loans from others and wondering about the process. So this is going to have, uh, a, I think, a pretty significant impact in two areas. One um, Like I said, Correspondent was about 40% of Wells Fargo's origination volume. And in particular, they've been the Jumbo King for, God, for such a long time. And, And the Correspondent Channel has been really instrumental in that success. And a lot of community and regional banks have obtained excellent pricing on Jumbo loans from Wells Fargo, which is a depository. They can keep the loans on their books and they can effectively originate these loans very cheaply. So these Correspondent Partners now... Are, I think they're probably going to have a rough time with pricing in you know these high priced areas uh, in which jumbos are still attractive for the local lending base uh, if Wells Fargo is not there. And then of course there's also the servicing side of things. You know Wells Fargo is God I don't have it in front of me but but probably the fifth largest Gini servicer in the country in 2022. And so by dropping correspondent and not originating those loans. Um, Just by virtue of that, their pipeline is going to thin, and Wells Fargo is also going to be making asset sales, uh, selling MSRs in the coming quarters, and that's going to further reduce the profile size, uh, you know, in in Gini Holdings especially. And and this could also cause pricing issues in in Gini May. And, uh, you know, the CHLA, which is a trade group consisting of small lenders, they've already come out against Wells Fargo's exit in that space. And... You know, a lot of the banks have really not been particularly active in the Ginnie May market for quite some time. And, and this is really a side effect of the Dodd-Frank legislation from way back when. Um, but, but they're also they're not really originating enough new agency stuff anymore to offset the runoff from their portfolios. Uh, you look at JPMorgan Chase, again, similar story. Their portfolio continues to decline, and of their overall service and portfolio, less than 2% of it is Ginnie May. And it's these non-banks that have really stepped in and, and um, you know, been kind of carrying this market. Uh, but it's a tough space right now. There's a lot more risk profile in Ginnie May, And there are a lot of new capital requirements that that uh, the government is is starting to put in place. So it's it's a tough space. And, you know, the exit of Wells Fargo, even if it is expected, doesn't make it any easier.
0: So, you know, you bring up a good point with the CHLA, you know, saying, you know, they they don't like this move, but I mean, none of the big depositories are, you know, mandated or required to do this kind of lending if they don't want to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And Wells Fargo
1: is essentially saying, look, we are comfortable working with our own existing borrowers and we're not going to take on the reputational risk or the financial risk if they deem it. So I don't see a huge amount of financial risk uh, in this market, of course, because, you know, These are insured by the government. Um, But having said that, you know, that there is definitely a difference between uh, working with your own customers and and entirely your own underwriting and, and not having to securitize it because you just keep it on the books. And then, you know, you compare that to working uh, with these products that are, in a lot of cases, originated by other lending partners and and it's a different game. And so, you know, Wells Fargo right now, given all the scandals, all the issues that they've faced, looked around and said, I I just, I don't think there's a need for us to be the size we are in mortgage. And, And I think if we're looking for a comparison, it's probably Bank of America, you know, and and They were the number one lender in the land. Of course, Wells Fargo have been number one for quite some time until Rocket came, you know, 2017, 2018, and and they've been gradually shrinking, but not at the same rate as some of the other big depositories. And I think, you know, if you talk to analysts, you talk to experts in the space, they'll tell you very, very real possibility
0: that they end up smaller than JPMorgan Chase, Mm -hmm. In the mortgage game, so interesting when I when I joined HousingWire Wire in 2013, Wells Fargo was just still huge, right as far as uh, originating mortgages. But you know, part of the correspondence you think you know from a competitive. Um, Side, if there's a lot of correspondent business going on, well, you can see why it makes sense for a depository to be part of it. But in some ways, you can see also, well, you know, I mean, hey, this is an opportunity to kind of pull back at a time when it's going to really hurt a certain part of the lending community. And that's uh, maybe a strategic, uh, competitive move on their part, too. Yeah. And, and,
1: I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that it's, it's been really tough for everybody in this space to make money in any of these channels, whether it be retail, wholesale, correspondent, correspondent has picked up some market share in the last few quarters. um, And that largely owes to the relationships that these community and smaller, typically smaller, they're not always smaller, um, but in most cases, smaller local regional banks um, have with, with real estate agents and, you know, borrowers in those communities. And so, um, Wells Fargo exiting does represent a big opportunity for others that are in that space. And, uh, you know, you look around and you say, maybe U S bank, a depository competitor, um, might, might find some, (laughs) you know, some advantages now working in, in, um, you know, in the correspondent channel, uh, Mr. Cooper, Penny Mac freedom mortgage. They could absolutely all, um, make some, some money, you know, whether whether it's because Wells Fargo is leaving correspondent or it's because they're shrinking their servicing uh, footprint. And, you know, Freedom, uh, Mr. Cooper, Planet Home Lending and Lakeview in particular are increasing their Ginnie Mae uh, MSR footprints. And so, you know, it's, it's going to be a pretty rocky period for everyone. But, you know, a lot of this also has to do with just the fact that mortgage is not a very profitable business for Wells Fargo period right now. You know, whether it's doing conventional mortgages, whether it's buying, um, you know, through correspondent, whether it's their own, you know, internal uh, jumbo originations game. It's just it's not a good business right now. And when they're dealing with all the regulatory issues that they have, um, the reputational issues too, right? I mean, they're massive. You know, I don't think any bank, that, frankly, I think a lot of people believe that Wells Fargo is lucky to be alive right now. And so if shrinking that risk by taking the third largest mortgage lender in America and becoming, say, the 10th, the 15th um, is the way to, you know, preserve the the whole, the entity, um, that's – you're going to make that move 100 out of 100 times.
0: Especially because, as you said, it's not like, wow, that's, they're making so much money in mortgage right now. Nobody is. So the cost to originates really high. There's lots of um, – you know, compliance risks. So totally understandable. You know, you mentioned that this could uh, weaken pricing and affect um, FHA borrowers, right? So, so what do you hear on that side? And, you know, the fact that, you know, Wells Fargo is one of the, um, uh, a big lender to uh, communities of color and, you know, really focused on that. So what might this mean for them?
1: So, from the Wells Fargo perspective, we, we don't know for certain that they're going to be exiting FHA uh, entirely. They they have not said definitively, "Hey guys, like we're done, we're getting out of the space." Uh, but pretty much every move they've made signals that they're they don't have the appetite for FHA slash uh you know, mortgage servicing. Um, so we, we we know that for sure. What what they have said is, and I think a lot of this is due to the agreement that they have with the CFPB, um, they do want to increase their footprint in servicing originations uh, for minority homeownership. That is a big part of of the overall move that they're making here. And they say that they're going to be uh, investing heavily in bringing uh, mortgage loan officers into communities of color that are typically underserved. They have a special purpose credit program that it's been in place for a little while. Um, I believe they sunk. Well, you never quite know um, with the accounting whether it's really a hundred million dollars. But they said that they've deployed about a hundred million dollars um, into this special purpose credit program for um, you know underserved minority borrowers, in which um, they can, they can basically get much better rates on refis. Right, so they're offering uh, credit for refis, and now through this uh, special purpose credit program. Bit of a mouthful there. Um, they, they'll also be extending that into the purchase side as well. So, whether that means you have to qualify for a conventional mortgage and then you're able to, uh, you know, get get a few, however many basis points it is, or you know, a, a credit of seventy five hundred dollars or whatever it is, uh, you know, toward that mortgage, I don't know. You know, those details still haven't really been released. Um, and, and I hope that we're, we're able to, to find out pretty soon because, you know, I mean, the, this would be a major, major initiative if if they are meaningfully going into communities that have, you know, suffered. We talk about like food deserts, right? You know, where there are no grocery stores in certain areas. The same goes for lending. You know, you, you try to find credit opportunities in Mott Haven in the Bronx and there are no banks there. You know, it's it's not like there are a lot of uh, mortgage Brokerages or, or retail operations that are in a lot of these communities, they just don't go there. It's not it's not their target audience, you know. And, and because they're typically nowadays, it's mostly independent mortgage banks. They don't don't feel like they have to, right? Like it's it's you know a really complicated issue. But if Wells Fargo is is really meaningfully going to be investing in minority homeownership opportunities, that's great. And and also like for what it's worth, there are. There are real actual legitimate opportunities. It's not just, you know, somebody saying, oh, well, we'll do this because the government wants us to and it's a good thing to do. Look at the demographics in this country. You know, this this is an area in which you could really um, make a viable, strong uh, business line. And, and so if Wells Fargo, which doesn't have the best track record, according to a lot of people, you know, in, in serving really any borrowers, frankly, um, you know, the way they should, um, if they're actually making this kind of investment, kudos to them. That's great. I think that's fantastic. And, and, you know, a lot of these special credit purpose special purpose credit programs say that Peter Piper picked, picked a, <laughs> uh, a lending program. Um, you know, if, if these are relatively new, you know, the government hadn't really cleared the runway to make, make sure that, you know, you wouldn't run afoul of, of other fair housing, um, uh, You know, laws. Um, So these are relatively new, but if Wells Fargo really meaningfully invests in these channels, that could be great. That could be also a great conduit to them getting, you know, borrowers into their overall banking pipeline. So uh, we'll be tracking that certainly. But, you know, as far as our question goes into the Ginny Mae secondary market, that's been a really topsy-turvy market. Um, Not a lot of MBS deals, RMBS deals in general out there. Um, And the pricing has been particularly uh, just big gulfs, you know, based on on yield and pricing in in Ginny right now. Um, And if you have, you know, one of the bigger players in the space, number five, essentially exiting and selling a huge amount of their product all at once, Um, yeah, I mean, it it could be, it it could create some additional volatility in a space that has already been, you know, one, not very active and, and two, just kind of all over the place when it is.
0: You know, way back in April, we um, the newsroom wrote uh, Flavio Furlan Nunez wrote an article that said some lenders won't survive the purchase mortgage market of 2022. Look back at that article; it was, it, it's such a good one. And it's really looking at the kinds of uh, mortgage bankers, the kinds of uh, companies that were going to that might f- fare well coming off of this huge refi boom and the ones that are going to struggle. And then we've had follow-ups on that, you know, based on like the consolidation is continuing and like, here's what we see it. So we all throughout 2022, your newsroom really tracked like what was happening and who, who the players are that are positioned best to, um, to survive this. So, you know, with this, with this uh, news about Wells Fargo closing its correspondent channel and some of the other recent, what do you think the update is to that? Like, like who's, who's, Who's doing well? And, and what is th- how does that article um, age when we look at it now?
1: Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't want to give us too many pat's on the back here. I, I think that we we kind of nailed a lot of them. You know, it's it's um, it's um true that there are some companies that have been better positioned. If you already had, you know, 150, 200 LOs that have strong, close relationships with real estate agents with, you know, other people um, who are kind of close to transactions, you know, maybe financial advisors, maybe divorce attorneys, you typically fared better, right? Because there's no incentive to refi for 90 something percent of the American population. So if you had a call center business and you had people that are just, you know, not not in touch with real estate agents who don't have their trust, who aren't, you know, among the three people that they're going to recommend to their borrowers, um, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of SOL there, right? Um, some of them are able to pivot. Some of them are not entirely just call center-based lenders. You know, they have, maybe, maybe they were through the correspondent pipeline. Maybe they also have some broker business and, you know, tried to, uh, woo some with good pricing or maybe good service or, you know, maybe they try their hand at fix and flip or maybe they try that, you know, like there are all kinds of products out there. But I think by and large, when you really go back to the story, which we published in, I want to say the spring of 2022, it held up. If you weren't close to the transaction, if you didn't have deals getting fed to your LOs and you couldn't execute, you know, you're, you're not going to make it. Um, and I think in a lot of cases also, you need a good, strong capital markets team uh, because the secondary market had been so volatile. Uh, you know, and we've seen—I don't know how many inversions we've seen. You know, over the last year, it's been a lot, right? And and um, we've seen huge spreads and and major changes all the time. And um, and so you have to be really adept. If this was your first cycle, if you were the, you know first one to to be working through these sorts of conditions, not that everybody who was in that sort of position didn't make it, but, but a lot of them didn't, you know, and, and we know that the, cut, the cuts that have been instituted are not done, you know, the, the industry has shed a lot of jobs, it will continue to shed, you know, probably 10,000 plus jobs for the next few months, even if rates do start to, to come back a little bit. It's just so much more capacity than business. Um, and, you know, even if it's a long tail, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a tough road to hoe. So um, I think that we were kind of, kind of there. I didn't have Wells Fargo, you know, exiting, uh, you know, 40% of its originations business on my bingo card, probably should have, um, you know, and, and, you know, there are a few who have fared better than others, but like, Nobody's doing incredibly well, even UWM, which is, uh, I think was really well positioned overall, you know, and that they have a very captive audience of brokers who, you know, have used them as their number one for quite some time, have the cash position, have um, the courage, I think in a lot of ways to really cut prices and be extremely aggressive and offer any kind of product enhancement they can um, to take business from lenders you know, and it's a zero sum game, right? Like that loan gets funded and it gets funded by someone. And if it's not you, again, you're SOL, right? Um, so they, they've done really well in that respect, but but they've had to do it by cutting cutting margins, cutting prices. Like they're not charging a premium and getting, you know, all the glory. Um, it's it's a tough road for everybody right now. So UWM is doing well. Um, there are a few others who have climbed the rankings, right? Um, but it's 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 just like the Fed give it, the Fed take away.
0: No, it's so true. Like reading that April article, um, you know, we were really focused on yes, you know, the refi boom is coming to an end because, you know, rates are rising. But I don't think anybody thought in April that we were going to see the amount, the, the quick rise in mortgage rates that we got or the how devastating that was going to be just that that difference between um, a a year's difference six months difference in rates and how that would sort of lock down the market the way that it has so you know we were just looking at like oh purchase versus refi and and yes rising rates but hard to hard to have predicted exactly how how that was going to go we look at the 2023 we see that you know definitely we think that you know rates have softened i mean luckily they haven't gone into the 8 to 10% range which lots of people last year were like listen by the end of 2022 or in 2023 we're going to see 8 to 10% which I don't know who would be left if if that was the case, but it would have been even more of a bloodbath. So at least we're looking at more of a soft landing. But to your point, we are not done yet. I I interviewed uh, Bob Brook Smith, the CEO of the Mortgage Bankers Association, recently, and he talked about you know the first, you know, more cuts are coming and that the first time people cut as they, as they look at their, their, um, finances, a lot of times it's not the very deepest because you don't, you don't want to do that until you have to. So that right, it's first a, it's a human thing, right? Like yep. you
1: never want to, you never want to cut as many as you, maybe the business tells you you should, or or you don't plan out the worst case scenario. You, know, you think like, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take a half measure and, um, you know, it'll be painful, but maybe, people are optimistic, right? Like you always think maybe part of the business will rebound in that period. Um and so I, I think yeah it's it's true and and it's really it's the sharpness of of the rate hikes that really got people. I, I think, you know, there are certainly people in the industry who have worked in a mortgage rate environment in the sixes. You know, like it has happened before. This is sorry to say it, but like an older industry too. Right. You know, it's not like it's populated full of like 26 year olds who are like, yeah, I got my MBA. I know how to do this. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I saw the movie, the big chore, but like, I don't know anything about it. Right. This is generally an older audience. Um, and, and it's really the sharpness and and just, if you relied on refi too much and that was like, what, 67% of our originations in 2020, 2021, you know, by and large it was two third of the game. Um, you know, the transition, it's a slow one because it requires trust with the real estate agent, with the, you know, the the deals that are coming through. Um, And, you know, lead generation is still a very inexact science. So even if you're purchasing lead gen, you know, from a, whatever, nerd wallet or or any one of those sites, like the hit rate on those is generally pretty small, right? So um, it takes a while to, And you need enough deals. (laughs) You know, you also need enough complex deals for someone to trust you in all situations. So um, that's always going to be a slow process. You know, you can't just send two deals to somebody over the course of two years in 2020 and 21 uh, in which like everybody was, you know, running a well-oiled machine and, and they go through no problem, no hitch, you know. And everybody has big savings because maybe they got some money from the pandemic, bonuses were good, everything, you know. Job growth was really good for a lot of people once, you know, some, some of the issues um, with the initial shock of the pandemic kind of got sorted, right? Um, but now you're you're thinking about totally different things. You're also thinking like, is this borrower going to be employed when this loan closes? You know, Absolutely. are they able to swing, you know, a difference in 75 basis points if, you know, the markets are particularly volatile by the time, you know, we're, we're ready to finally walk the rate? you know, it's can we sell it on the secondary market at par or better? Um, you know, all these questions that never really had to be dealt with, maybe some in 2018 um, dealt with a little bit of this here and there, but not at the scale, you know, not at the size. Like so many people just like, I talked to processors, underwriters who are one grateful to have a job right now. And a bunch of them are like, yeah, I don't do much of anything. Uh, some days, like there's just, I don't enough business for me to, stay busy so i try to learn new skills and pick up other things and a lot of them are just kind of waiting for the axe to fall too right so it's um it's sad to say it's it's still going to be a really tough market for the foreseeable future and i say this as rates are closer to five percent than they have been in probably three months four months right so it's uh
0: i agree and i mean uh our lead analyst Logan Motoshami, thinks that you know Uh, rates in the fives stabilize the market because if if they can get to the fives and and be there with duration or even the low sixes and stay there with duration then people you know feel more comfortable putting their house on the market because they're going to be the the buyer of you know the buyer of the next house they're not looking at rates that are just so much more than what they've got so we we can hope for that uh fingers crossed what else are you guys planning um, that our audience should know about either a follow-up to this or other news that um you're working on
1: yeah, we, we definitely do have a follow up to the Wells Fargo news coming. Uh, they're they're also going to be announcing their fourth quarter results on Friday, so uh, that, that should give us a little bit more insight into uh, at least how their mortgage banking operation looked in in the fourth quarter. Uh, we, we can really only speculate right now, um, but but expect that it was probably probably even further down from the third quarter. But um, having said that, we're we're also really interested in looking at um, kind of where the market is right now. You know, both on the, the proper real estate agent brokerage side, uh, but also for the mortgage lenders out there. And so we've heard quite a bit over the last, I'd say two weeks, two, three weeks, um, that like business is kind of picking up, you know, I don't want to jinx it or anything like that. Um, <laughs> but, but people who are like, man, you know, I went for like months without much or anything in my pipeline. Suddenly, you know, you get like five or six buyers who are who are interested, uh, you know, it's not like they're walking right now or anything like that, but we see signs of life. You know, and, and that's hugely positive. Um, and of course, that corresponds with with rates starting to come down. Um, but it's also, it's another thing too. It's that I think sellers, they get it now. If you want to get your house sold, you need to make some concessions. Yep. You know, I and mean, like gone, of course, gone are the days where sellers could say like, I need you to name an elementary school after my daughter, you know, and people are like, okay, fine, I'll do it. Like, whatever. I just need to buy this house. Um, and, and, you know, they're, they're starting to come to the table and say, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll fund your, your temporary rate buy down, right. For a year two years, we'll throw in, you know, we'll give you a credit maybe, you know, we'll buy down your rate a little bit or um, you can have all the furniture. Maybe, maybe they have good taste and they're sensible people or, or, you know, they'll, the work with the, the buyer, you know, and, and, you know, this isn't exclusively, it's not like everybody realizes this, right. These are, these are markets that, that kind of move at their own pace and and in some areas. And we do see a lot of relisting still, you know, anywhere between 30% and I mean, hell in some markets much higher than that, you know, in the forties where, um, you know, it it generally says like, you're not pricing it right. um, Or you're not, being flexible enough, so so still some hesitancy out there, but we are definitely seeing a change in seller behavior, and and I think that's a really good sign, especially if uh, you can pair that with rates finally stabilizing. You know whether that's in the low sixes, high to mid fives, you know wherever that number ends up being, um, but but it just makes everyone's life so much easier. It. it also means the, you know, the folks in the capital markets department uh, can go home and have dinner with their families again. You know, it's like, uh, maybe they'll have a little more hair (laughs) by the time this is over. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, there are certainly very encouraging signs out there. It's not all doom and gloom. um, But also like, let's not pretend that suddenly things are just going to come rare and back like, like they did, you know, in the, the good old days of 2020 21. You know, I, I think if you can hope for whatever the slow period of 2019 was, I think, you know, brokers, lenders, LOs, realtors, appraisers, title staffers, they would they would bite your hand off for that kind of market. So here, here's to hoping.
0: Here's to hoping. Well we are gonna uh we're gonna end on that very uh graphic description, but it is so true. Bite your hand off for that. That's so true. Um, It's a dog-eat-dog market. Thanks so much, James, for sharing your insights and for being on here, and also just for the great work that the newsroom's doing. They're working so hard to cover this giant industry and everything that's going on here. Well, thank you so much for having me, Sarah.
1: I'll talk to you soon. The Housing Wire Magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more.
0: Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insights.